0: We come out of school thinking your portfolio has to be super versatile. And if they find a piece like, oh, like this style looks really cool, but it's not something that you enjoy doing and you get hired to do that, you might be less likely to enjoy doing that full time. So you might as well cater your portfolio to things that you really love to draw and you love to paint.
1: Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Ray Mendoza-Landa, one half of your co-host.
2: And I'm Yukio Kamura wong the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Gray Chen. She is a Chinese-American artist working as a background painter at Warner Brothers Animation. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself?
0: Hi. Yeah, thank you for having me on. My name is Gray. A bit about myself, I've been working in animation for about a little more than five years now. I grew up in the Bay Area. I went to school at San Jose State with a degree in animation and illustration. And I've done a bit of everything in animation. I've done production, I've done design, color, but I'm mostly Moonlight as a background painter and color designer.
2: So cool. The way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices and then you have to choose in between the two of them and then let us know why.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Awesome. <laughs> I'll start us off with the first question. Which sassy cat would you rather have as your loyal companion? Luna from Sailor Moon or Gigi from Kiki's Delivery Service?
0: Oh no, two cute black cats. Okay, um... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Gigi is very different depending on whether you grew up with the English dub or the Japanese dub. So I grew up with the English dub and Gigi was very, very talkative. But from what Mm -hmm. I hear, the Japanese version of Kiki's Delivery Service, Gigi is always like very quiet, more like, but uh, I also grew up with Sailor Moon, so I love Luna. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I would go with Luna just because if, (gasps) if Luna's my sidekick, does that mean I would be Sailor Moon? Because that would be, that would be cool.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would being a Sailor Senshi, like, seal the deal for yeah. you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, have, like, a whole, like, Magical Girl transformation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'd go with Luna.
2: That's fair.
1: Okay. Okay. What about that same effect? If GG you'd be able to write a broom, you'd be tankily a witch.
0: I feel like being a Sailor Senshi would be a little cooler. I could like fight monsters, <laughs> yeah, and, like, beat up bad guys.
1: Get special power based
2: on the universe.
0: Yeah, like, what does Kiki? Do? Kiki just flies. I mean, she's cool, but come on.
2: <laughs> well, she also delivers.
0: She delivers things. As she well. delivers. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I you know what honestly in the same vein as like what you're going for I would choose Gigi and being a witch in Kiki's universe it's like more low-key yeah <laughs> Kiki's delivery service is all about burnout and like being you know inspired or whatever yeah that's my favorite one too, Kiki
0: it seems like a very chill like, mm-hmm. oh like yeah vacation vibes kind of life
2: yeah it's like slice of life, but like a little magic. Like it's just a little bit.
0: Just, <laughs> just a hint, you know. Yeah.
1: No, that's fair. I think I'd probably also I would say with Gray, I'd probably go with Luna. <gasps> if I can have like a male sailor uniform, that'd be okay.
2: <laughs> no, Ray. Only <laughs> one size fits all. Would you have the skirt too? Yeah. I think you could pull it off,
1: yeah. Oh lord. <laughs> with the skirt. Okay, I might have to change my answer. (laughs) No,
2: you're locked in. You're locked in, fool. We've
0: recorded this. We have it on record.
2: (laughs) Damn it. Uh. (laughs) All right, next question. Would you rather confront the beast from over the garden wall or help No-Face from Spirited Away?
0: Hmm. I feel like No-Face would be the friendlier option between the two. Oh, for sure. Yeah, confronting the beast requires a lot of guts. And uh, I don't Mm -hmm. know, he might try to steal my soul and try to like stick it in his lantern or something. Yeah. I feel like I'd go with No-Face and just like in general, the whole Spirited Away universe itself is really, really cool. So I feel like I'd probably do that.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
2: This is more of like a... (laughs) act with kindness or uh yeah violence
0: <laughs> yeah i i'm gonna go with kindness you know the world needs mm. a little more kindness
1: <laughs> no good choice yeah i don't know like i wonder who would choose the former because i would just be like i'll yeah, do it I'll, I'll do it Ray. i'll
0: fight,
2: <laughs> fight the beast You'll yeah i'll fight, fight beast. Him. nah <laughs> i believe in you yuki <laughs>
1: i'll have no face he's, he's pretty chill
2: <laughs> i did also like it was really cute and over the garden wall greg is like I'm going to solve all these puzzles and I'll, I'll defeat the beasts. And I was like, oh, he's pretty good at these. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Those little riddles. Damn. That was a fun time. Over the Garden Wall was super, super fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I like it. Kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Very cute.
0: Yeah. It's got nice of all vibes. Got to watch it every year before Halloween. It's
1: getting close. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: It's
1: getting close to Over the Garden Wall season.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think by the time this releases, it's going to be Over the Garden Wall season.
0: Ooh. Go watch it now. <laughs>
1: I will say, that's probably one of the closest we've ever gotten where, like, the character was in a coma. (laughs) They were in a coma the whole time.
2: It was all a dream. (laughs) At the very, very end, they were like, oh, we woke up and we're okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but it was kind of cool how they hinted at, like, oh, maybe the universe was real because they showed all the aftermath of all the characters and stuff, too.
1: Yeah, it's real in our hearts.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, anyways... That was in between. Thanks so much for playing with us. Gray. Hopefully you had some fun there. (laughs) If you guys enjoyed today's in between questions, let us know your responses. Or if you have suggestions for future in between questions, contact us on social media. So to start off, can you describe what you do as a background painter and color designer?
0: Yeah, so background paint and color design, they often go hand-in-hand hand. Mm-hmm. on a lot of different animated productions. Design is usually broken down into like different categories and disciplines. So we have like character designer, prop designer, background designer, background paint, so on. Like A background designer would draw the layouts and environments based on the storyboards, and then a background painter would then take those layouts and bring it into color. And often it determines stuff like mood or time of day. And then a color designer would do the same thing, but with characters, props, and effects. They would color these assets, and they would have to reference the background paintings to make sure all these assets stand out in those environments while still feeling like they belong. The background painters and color designers often have to, like, work with each other, but it's always, like, a fun process because it's kind of the last step of design, and you can kind of see Mm. this show coming together and how it looks like in the end.
1: Yeah, Totally. It's really cool. So someone separately like designs the actual background and then hands it off to somebody in your position that paints it in and lays down the color?
0: Yeah. So oftentimes it's kind of to save time. So like you would have one person doing all the designs and then they would move it on to the next person in the pipeline and that they would paint it afterwards. It's it's kind of a little more efficient that way.
1: And then when it comes to like, you know, work, because like we can get into this a bit more later, but you worked on like a variety of different shows with variety of different styles. How has it been kind of adjusting to like that show's particular choice of color palette and kind of making the backgrounds kind of fit in, but also, you know, look good?
0: Yeah, I feel like with any job, like the first few weeks, it's kind of just you're you're kind of getting used to the show style. There's a little bit of imposter syndrome you have to kind of get over. (laughs) It's kind of like playing around with um, what you know about the show and seeing what your art director or your showrunner likes about it and kind of learning to adjust uh, on it on the spot. Um, but yeah, like the, the experience in itself hasn't been particularly too difficult, but it's kind of like learning as you go. And especially like if you're on a new show too, sometimes you can kind of help influence how things might look in the end.
1: Mm. That's no, really cool. Because like, to me, color is so hard. <laughs> color is so hard. So the fact that like, that's your specific job to make. Because again, line work is cool. But the final visuals is like the final designs and the color. That's what you kind of take away and like what draws you in. So like having it be very appealing to the eye is just something that super interests me because like, it's one of those things that like, yes, there's the basic principles of color, but it's like so much about the feeling mm-hmm. when you're laying it down and like seeing kind of the end result and just like. It's so, it's so weird having just a job be, like, the feeling.
0: Just color. Yeah. A lot of people tell me that. They're like, I don't understand mm. how you do color. I have such a hard time mm. doing color. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Because, <laughs> yes, color theory and, like, doing studies of stuff, like, it really, really helps. So, so I honestly just go by feeling sometimes, too. Mm. And I, I have, like, the opposite reaction to you, right? Like, I, I see people working in line art or doing design and I'm like that's so Mm. amazing being able to kind of create or draw something just from their mind and make something up and sometimes I kind of struggle with that too. I like having Mm. like a base to work off of. Honestly when I'm doing color it's honestly just like putting down a swatch of color and then just tweaking it until it feels good to me. Like Mm -hmm. everyone always asks like oh how do you pick such nice colors? I'm like I don't know. I just... (laughs) <laughs> i i kind of just throw some colors around until it looks nice to me
2: <laughs> yeah. i've heard that so many times from different color designers who are like if you have any, like like what's the secret to color design they're like i have no idea <laughs> nobody knows yeah as far as i can tell nobody it. knows yeah <laughs> but it's it's like they feel it like it's in your it's in your soul or whatever.
0: Oh, I think honestly, it's just like getting the experience, like doing it enough. Like I think when mm. I first started off doing color, I, don't, I didn't know what I was doing either. It was kind of just doing more and more studies. I really like to do like go out and plein air paint sometimes and mm-hmm. kind of seeing how a light interacts with itself. And I think like doing it more kind of gets you used to like using mm. color more and kind of getting a feel for it.
2: Totally. It's like color is, it's really about the colors that are, working next to it mm-hmm. rather than like a single color on its own and there's like a spectrum of billions of colors that it would be impossible to just think of them exactly <laughs> all yeah. at once yeah so yeah adjusting them next to each other it that makes sense and like looking at them from life doing studies from life yeah but also it's interesting to me that background design and background painting are two separate jobs and i know that's like standard in the industry, but like when you're in school, you always, you do your own sketch, you do your own line art, you paint your own backgrounds. What was that like sort of moving into a position where you're coloring other people's line art and working on other people's work?
0: Yeah. So when I was in school, because we had such a like well-rounded education, I had no idea what the TV industry would even be like. Like I assumed a lot of the jobs I would be applying for would be like visual development where you would be kind Mm. of playing with concepts and doing like ideations of everything. It wasn't until my very first job in TV where I was a production intern It wasn't even an art job, but I was kind of helping a lot of artists. And then that's how I learned. Like in TV, all the designers get separated into categories and they kind of focus on their own craft. I didn't even realize color design was a job in itself, Mm -hmm. uh, which was really, Mm -hmm. really cool. And so I I think it's been super helpful getting that well-rounded experience because then you kind of know what to expect because you are just a single artist within a pipeline. It's really helpful to knowing like what assets does the person after me need to do their job and like kind of anticipate like same with like whoever's like file you're working with. So having mm-hmm. that experience is really helpful. Even though I've mostly been doing background paint and color design, I have dabbled a little bit in like prop design or background design in some of my other jobs. So having that experience has also really helped open up more job opportunities for me as well.
1: No, that's really great. Was it easier or harder for you when you did kind of transition? Because we do every step of the pipeline when you're a student. And so just having a position where you're just doing the color, how was that?
0: <laughs> I feel like maybe in school, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then when I started working in animation, my very first art position was doing freelance color. And then uh, finding out that was kind of a job in itself really helped cement like, oh, I really love working with color. Like even in school, I kind of struggled a little bit with line art and just design. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. knowing that there was this whole separate position just for color, just for painting, I think I really thrived off of knowing that.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, Because like, again, that's also one of the positions that We've heard a bit through other guests and stuff. It's like not really the ones that you tend to hear about when you're a student.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Putting it out there like these color designers and background painters that these are like jobs that people don't know they exist that they can thrive really well in. And it's like, again, cool job within itself. Like, Mm -hmm. again, I can't comprehend what you guys do. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, we we always feel the same way about the other artists who do the other stuff. Like, we really know how to do my thing, but I don't know what, (laughs) how do you guys do, like, storyboarding, but what? Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) So let's travel back to, like, 2016. Uh, You mentioned how one of your first things in animation was interning at Cartoon Network. So you just finished your internship there. Then you were hired Full time as a production assistant. How are your responsibilities different?
0: So, actually, when I was an intern, I was already helping the production team with a lot of production assistant responsibilities at the time. Mm -hmm. So, at the time, a PA had just left the team. So, I was already like taking on a little bit of extra work and helping out wherever I can. And I was really, (laughs) really fortunate that like my team trusted me with these responsibilities, even just as an intern. And I would Mm. be like, helping set up for storyboard pitches, I would be transcribing some of the boards into scripts for our record sessions, I would be helping our design coordinator prep files for the artists. And so when the time came to hire a new PA, it kind of made sense to hire me because, you know, I already had the job experience. And I also worked really well with the team already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, of course, like being a full time PA, there was still like so many more responsibilities I had to learn, I had to take on like, with production, there's just so many things they have to juggle just to keep a show running. Mm-hmm. But I was really, really grateful getting to have like some of the job experience prior to that before I like jumped head first into the full time job
1: for you as well. The full like time job opportunity happened while you were still in school, so how was it was it difficult trying to finish your degree remotely?
0: Yeah, it was definitely hard like one of the reasons my line producer almost didn't hire me. Because she knew I was still in oh, school, wow. yeah, she was very mm-hmm. adamant. Like she was like, "I don't want to have you quit school just to take on a PA position." Mm-hmm. And I remember having to like talk to my professors, like, "Is this something that I could do while finishing school remotely? Like, is it possible?" And they're like, "Yep, just do your homework, graduate, and you can do it." And like even my the rest of my production team were, were kind of fighting to have me get hired on. Um, so I had to, I I even had to convince her and yeah, it was, it was definitely difficult. Like being a production assistant is no joke. Like even though a lot of people regard it as like an entry level position, it is still Mm -hmm. a full-time job. And oftentimes you have to work overtime just to meet your deadlines. And so I would be working these 40 hour weeks, sometimes even more. And then I'd have to go home, catch up with whatever schoolwork I had to do. Like I remember our BFA classes would be Friday mornings and I could never make those classes because of course I was working and I would have to figure out what was going on in those classes just from my friend's notes. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely a struggle and it's a lot of time management. It's a lot of like self-sustainability, being able to like set your own schedules, stuff like that. It was Mm -hmm. a very difficult year. (laughs) I would (laughs) not try to recommend anyone else try to do it, but you know, I, I think it's the opportunity was worth it every time because getting that job experience, getting to work with artists, I feel like really helped like push me into being able to work in this industry as well. So I, I think it's always mm, worth it.
1: For sure. It's great that you were able to do that. Because For any student, that's always a tough position to be in, whether to finish school and hopefully try to get a job after graduation or dropping out to take the job or trying to do like a balance of both. And like everybody kind of has their own path and everybody kind of you know, has our reason for what they do. Ultimately, journey to animation is always so vastly different for so many people.
0: Yeah, exactly. you are
1: going to keep moving forward in your career. As we mentioned earlier, you worked on like several different shows, such as Dreamwork Shera, Hulu's Solar Opposites, and Netflix's We Lost Our Human. And also currently, right now, you're working on Warner Brothers. How was your experience working not only on these different shows, but these different studios
0: yeah so I definitely did a lot of jumping around in my career and um, <laughs> <laughs> even though like color design in itself is more or less the same responsibilities from show to show my experiences on these di- three different productions were actually like really really different so on Chira I was actually the only color designer at the time and I started on the second season so already a lot of the main characters um, the main assets were colored So this was really helpful because as a first time artist, first time color designer to like already have a base to work off of, like there was already a predetermined show style Mm -hmm. and all I had to do was really kind of adapt to it and then just like continue the process. On Solar Opposites, the style was also kind of already determined before I started on it. It's it's based off of Rick and Morty. It's like in a similar universe and style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But because of its scale and its ambition as a show in itself, there were hundreds and hundreds of assets, which is really different from what I was used to working on Shira. And there were so many files to work off of that. We actually had three color designers working on the show in our season, which is actually very... It's not usual. Like I feel like most of the shows I've seen only ever has one or maybe two color designers at most. Mm -hmm. So having three was a really interesting experience. I was also really lucky because Solar Opposites, because it was such a big show, our art director actually let us play around with trying to like experiment with how we would like work on the color. And because there were more Mm. color designers, we could kind of throw ideas off of each other. Like we would kind of like huddle up and be like, what can we do to make this laser blast look really, really cool? And I actually learned so much from the other color designers when I was working there because like someone else would be approaching this file in, in a different way. And that could kind of influence how I would approach my files and seeing like how different lighting effects might affect the characters or the effects. And it was really fun time. And then for We Lost Our Human, I actually started on that show... Uh, In the middle of quarantine. So that in itself just brought on its own challenges. (laughs) But again, I was the only color designer on that show Mm. and getting to work on like the very first episode right off the bat was a really fun time because like i mentioned before it meant i could kind of experiment with things and kind of help figure out how like lighting would affect these characters and how they would look against our like beautiful backgrounds
2: right mm-hmm. and so
0: all of that was kind of like really fun getting to play around and help my team figure out like what the show would look like from the get-go
1: that's so interesting to me that there's only usually like one to two like color designers kind of you're mentioning like the fact that you had three and you were able to like frame more and bounce off ideas like that's one of the things I like about storyboarding and storyboarding with the team is that like you get to quickly pitch ideas to the other board artists seeing how they're approaching their sequences and stuff and just having a chance to like nurture and grow ideas and so like I can't like the worst thing about quarantine right now and working from home is that I'm not working with the other board artists like we email each other we message each other but like I can't just turn my chair and just ask, like, hey, Na- hey man, can you, like, look at the sequence or can I pitch this to you? Is this funny? Being alone with your thoughts <laughs> is so hard and trying mm. just to, like, be creative by yourself and not trying to have, like, yeah, the ability to bounce off of somebody. I feel like I work so much better. So I can't imagine for majority of the color design jobs is usually, like, by yourself. I guess you do have the art director, but it's just, like, how do you handle just working by yourself and, like, <laughs> with, the- with your own thoughts?
0: Yeah, totally. Like, definitely one of the things I miss about being in the office is just getting to collaborate totally. with other people and see what their thoughts are. Like, even just as mm-hmm. a sole color designer, I would sometimes, like, go to the background painters and see what they would think or, like, go to my supervisor and see what, like, they thought. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, Solar Opposites in itself was a really fun experience getting to work with other color designers just so we can kind of, like, play around with different things.
2: Yeah, I mean, my speculation would be that, like, because uh, as you mentioned, you know, color and background painting is sort of the last step of the process. It sort of might have been like a, oh, let's tack this on. Like, we just need a color designer. You know, uh, just hire one. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I think that having a team of color designers just makes more sense because mm-hmm. color is mm-hmm. such a big part. And if nobody knows really what color, <laughs> how to do color, like, you should get more people in this. But you know. Yeah, it's always always like a budget thing. And yeah, I feel
0: like I feel like color design is always kind of the last thought of process in the design process. And and like people think of it as an entry level job when it really isn't. Like you still need the same.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like
0: not necessarily degree, but you still need the same art knowledge to approach color design as you would do background paint or as you do like design. And Because it's kind of the last step, people kind of forget, like, you know, it's still a really important step of the process. There's so much Mm -hmm. you can do with storytelling just with color or, like, affecting mood and how, like, it affects how people kind of view your animation. And it's such an important process that not a lot of people realize.
2: So to kind of keep talking about your experience at multiple studios, I remember way back when people were talking on Twitter about like what animation paid me. And I remember you talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, you're talking about how you were paid like higher and higher and how you don't like underprice yourself now because you've kind of come up to this level of pay. I guess what I'm wondering is how do you price yourself and how like have you come to, you know, how have you come to like builds up like, I am worth this much. So like, pay me this or I'm going to go somewhere else.
0: Yeah, it's all about learning kind of your own self confidence. When it comes to negotiating rates. It's hard. I have to admit, like, even when I started, I was really nervous about like, oh, I don't know if I want to ask this line producer for more money, because what if they don't give me a job? And I think it just comes from more and more work experience. One of the first art jobs I got and as a color designer, color designers actually tend to get paid less than the rest of their design mm-hmm. counterparts. And this is something the Animation Guild is trying to work on. There is a color design committee that is like very committed to like fighting for equal wages so that color design mm-hmm. is on the same level as the rest mm-hmm. of the design disciplines. But... Of course, like when you are an inexperienced artist going into your very first job, it can be very hard to negotiate rates. And something that I've learned is that, you know, like with every new job that you take on, that is more experience that you have under your belt. And with more experience, it means that you are more capable of handling whatever future jobs that you have that they give you. And so, like, knowing that, I feel like you can always fight for, like, a higher wage every time because, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you have been working for however many years now, and If you're doing well at your job, that means like other people around you, your crew notices that too and they can help like endorse for you. And I always recommend like if you have to like find a new job or leave a studio just to get that higher rate, I always recommend it because it's like, again, you're gaining more experience, you're doing well at your job and you're continuously learning. So of course you should always fight for that higher wage. Mm -hmm.
1: Kind of to add onto that like, to my knowledge and my experience is that the worst that can happen is that they'll just say no we can't we don't have the budget for it at least from like friends that I've talked to I don't think they ever lost a job because they asked for more money if they didn't get the job it's because they decided not to take it
0: mm-hmm. exactly
1: yeah because again I think the fear for a lot of like uh, young up-and-comers or those starting their first job or in the first few years it's like I don't want to lose this job opportunity because I don't want to come off greedy or I don't want to like ask for my money and like them resend the offer it's like the worst Mm -hmm. they'll just tell you is no they're not going to resend the offer that rarely Mm -hmm. ever happens at least i haven't heard a case where that has happened
0: yeah and it's why they call it a negotiation process too there is supposed to be a back and forth like you offer one rate and then they're going to offer another to counter that and it's kind of like a back and forth until whatever you get to that rate that you're happy with And you also Mm -hmm. have to just remember, like, you know, they're coming to you already. They're offering you this job. So that means they want you to join their team. So if they, like, are really passionate about you and your work, they are going to try to meet you halfway to where what you want because they really want you to, like, join their team. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Something I also just want to quickly comment on as well, like, as you were kind of talking about what you learned from each different production, I kind of noticed, like, this kind of amazing trajectory in your career how again you starting on shira uh starting on the second season everything was kind of like you had a groundwork and foundation to build off of and then your second experience you had this ability to work with other creatives and learn more and then you finally had a position where you were like being the sole color designer but you were there from the beginning i'm assuming you were probably a lot you were for sure a lot more confident in doing that position like would you have been as confident if that was like your first going and not having that like Because having like Shira be your first one where everything was kind of established already where you can build on top of it probably was an easy like way to kind of segue into that position versus something like we found our human or we lost our human where you're just there from the from the get go.
0: Yeah, I I think I've definitely been lucky Mm. in the way that my career has panned out in, in that like I was able to learn on the job as I was going throughout these different shows, I definitely think if I was just thrown into a random show as my very first job and having to like learn it in, on its own would have been incredibly difficult. Even Shiro wasn't my first art job. My very first color design job was doing freelance on Powerpuff Girls where I was a PA on. And I th- mm. I was really, really lucky that my art director there let me take home some freelance just to help out the team. And then he would kind of like coach me and like teach me how to like approach color in that way. Having that experience, even though like it was a very small job or opportunity was really, really helpful in that. Like it opened up so many opportunities for me. Like, I don't think I would have gotten my Shira job had I not gotten that freelance on Powerpuff Girls. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I don't know, like, It would have been incredibly difficult even landing a job just right off the bat without some kind of experience.
1: That's honestly, like, super, super cool. No, that's great. Everything has kind of helped, like, layer and, like, push you forward.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What are some future aspirations that you kind of have for yourself in this industry now that you're, you know, you've worked for more studios and you keep working and keep working? Like, yeah, what are some future aspirations?
0: Yeah, so for most of the five years I've been in animation, I've mostly been doing color design. And for a while, background paint was that next step for me. And now that I Mm -hmm. am a background painter at Warner Brothers, I don't know. Like, I love both background paint and color design. I feel like whatever shows I take on, I would love to be able to, like, jump back and forth depending on what the show is. Maybe in the future, I'd love to consider like being a color supervisor or an art director, but I don't know. I'm kind of open like with whatever opportunities are coming up forward.
2: Totally.
1: Mm -hmm. I've heard of this and I'm actually not too aware of it because I'm not on that side of the animation pipeline, but what is the role of the color supervisor versus the color designer?
0: So a color designer, they mostly just do color for characters, props and effects, and they try to make these assets fit within those backgrounds. A color supervisor or even a color lead would oversee a color designer and they would also often oversee background paint. Mm. Oftentimes they might help out with color scripts, but basically they're like the step right below an art director where they would just oversee the color side of the entire design pipeline and make sure all of that is cohesive and help lessen the workload off of an art director. Not every production has a color supervisor or a color lead, but when there is one, they're very helpful and like very useful in helping the art director do their job as well.
1: Mm, Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah, like that's something I wasn't aware of. Glad I know a little bit more about now. (laughs) (laughs) To kind of talk about your personal art, you started doing kind of like these Traveling illustrations featuring your cat, Junie. Is that something that you're still wanting to do more of?
0: Yeah. So, when I started this illustration series like a few years ago, I was like experiencing some really bad burnout. I had just graduated college and I was working this full time job. And so, I really wanted to take a long break from personal art. And I feel like coming out of school, a lot of us tend to feel guilty whenever we're not drawing or we're not creating Mm -hmm. something because we always feel like we need to be constantly working on our craft and constantly improving. Mm -hmm. And like every new piece that we work on has to be portfolio worthy because otherwise, like, how are we going to get jobs? And it took me a really long time to realize that's not really sustainable. Like we have to take breaks. We have to let ourselves just enjoy life and recharge. And so. I I basically did that. And it was like, I really needed to just walk away from art and just do other things. I would just go out, explore Los Angeles. I would go rock climbing, things like that. And when I started this illustration series, it was kind of like me dipping my toes back into the water and kind of getting myself reacquainted Mm. with art. At the time, I really wanted to work on like a background painting portfolio. So I figured, you know, I really love traveling, I really love sightseeing. So maybe I could do like a series of studies where I could paint like a destination that I'd really like to see someday. And mm. I would. I thought it would be like a fun exercise. And maybe it'd be kind of cute to imagine my cat Junie as like a little traveler going on these adventures. And so these paintings actually started off really casually, like I just did them on the side, I just did them for fun. And I never really thought of them as Like serious portfolio pieces or anything. But I think because those paintings were so personal to me, I feel like a lot of people resonated with them. I occasionally sell at conventions and I also sell (laughs) some of my prints online and it always Mm -hmm. surprises me how often people come up to me and talk to me about my Junie paintings and they're like, Mm. oh, like she reminds me of my cat or like, oh, I've I've been to this place that you painted and I'd love to get a print of that. And so like, I feel like because this was kind of more personal to me like i feel like a lot of people resonated with them and i think mm. whenever you are experiencing burnout instead of trying to focus like oh i need to work on my perspective or i need to work on this specific thing to like get a portfolio piece to get this certain job honestly just like draw what you want draw something that's close to your heart because i think people tend to like gravitate towards that kind of artwork anyway because they can see the passion you put into that particular piece. And it's okay. Just like draw fan art, draw whatever you want, as long as you're having fun with it. Because I think people can really tell when you're enjoying that process of drawing or painting, when it's like a subject that you really care about. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: No, yeah. That's something I've been hearing more and more of as well. Just don't worry so much about making a portfolio. Just try to make art that you enjoy and it'll come. Because like majority of the time, why people get hired is because they just like their work. It's like, oh my god, I love Gray's like little illustrations. <laughs> like those are so cool. Like I would love to work with her. Or like it's like um, people's like, oh, I love the way this person like illustrates their characters. I love their shape language. Or like, oh my god, this person's so funny. Their daily comics always makes me laugh. Like oh my, I would love. Oh, they'd be so good on this board team. You know? Yeah. You'd be surprised how far the things that you enjoy your your personal stuff can get you, and not worry so much about making a specific portfolio piece cuz anything you make has the potential to be a portfolio piece but just make art that you like.
0: Yeah, and like like we come out of school thinking your portfolio has to be super versatile. You always have to have different mm-hmm. styles and different like genres and stuff like that, and that's totally cool and fine, but when a recruiter or an art director is looking at your portfolio, they're specifically looking for pieces that might be translatable to the show that they're trying to hire for. And if they find a piece that like, oh, like I, this style looks really cool, but it's not something that you enjoy doing and you get hired to do that, you might be less likely to enjoy doing that full time. So you might as well cater your portfolio to things that you really love to draw and you love to paint. And then mm-hmm. like people can kind of see that and want to hire you for it.
2: A hundred percent.
1: Well put. Exactly. Kind of going back to like your personal illustrations and how. You've actually started selling them as prints as well as like other stuff. Uh, you actually, and you mentioned it as well, is that you run your own Etsy shop. You've been in the convention game for a bit. You're selling charms, prints, stickers. How is it kind of running an Etsy shop and like diversifying like your income?
0: Yeah, so I've been selling at conventions on and off since college. I started back mm-hmm. at like Fanime in San Jose.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So
0: it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. It's kind of like a part time job because you have to manage your own inventory, you have to order stock, you have to track all your sales for your taxes at the end of the year. (laughs) But it's really, really rewarding just being able to kind of like make money off of like your own passion projects and Mm -hmm. getting to sell your own personal art. Um, you get to draw what you want to draw. And like, even meeting people at those conventions, I really miss going to in-person conventions because of like all the social interaction you would get with people and kind of getting to bond over like fellow artists or like, again, like if people resonate with your art, getting to talk to them and see, like meet new people. It's been a really Mm -hmm. fun experience.
1: That's really great. And yeah, the thing I kind of want to ask, like, how is it doing taxes? Because I feel like that's something that doesn't get talked about when you're doing like, because you're, you're an independent business. You you yourself as a person, you're now a business when you do the conventions or you sell stuff on Etsy. How has it been traversing those waters?
0: Having uh, your personal accountant helps (laughs) because then you're not alone. In trying to figure out all those numbers by yourself. But yeah, it was definitely something that when I first got into, I was super, super confused. And it helped having a friend with me doing these conventions with me so we can kind of figure it out together. So there's like income tax. And then if you're selling within California, you also have to pay sales tax to California Mm -hmm. and you have to charge that extra sales tax for all your products to make sure you're really good at spreadsheets. Make sure you're tracking everything, (laughs) track all your sales, track all your purchases for your merchandise, just everything, write it down. You'll probably need those numbers at some point in the future.
1: For sure. Because like, especially if you're doing this on top of a full time, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's counted as additional income. So it's like something where you potentially, depending on how taxes work out, you might have to pay a portion of whatever you made in sales back to the government. Mm -hmm. It's, it's fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's fun with those quotation marks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> At what point did you uh, get a personal accountant?
0: I oh, I kind of just go off of my parents' accountant. Mm, okay. it, it's something that I've had to help with my taxes since like even when I was taking on part-time jobs in college. It's really, really helpful. In LA, there's also a lot of like entertainment-focused accountants too. And I think getting one of those, especially if you are working in entertainment or you're like a freelancer trying to make money off of your own art, I think it's really, real helpful having entertainment focused accountant because then they can kind of help you navigate those very specific, like it's very different if you were having like a different job, you know?
1: No, for sure. I, it's only been one year so far that I've been going to this person, but I started going to a specific like entertainment accountant. The year prior, before that one, I went with my wife's accountant and like she's like this super nice mexican lady like super super great but like when i was explaining what i do and like this is this is also when i had to do the taxes yuki um uh, for when i had to do the taxes for like solanaciente and like the money from the <laughs> kickstarter and just trying to explain kickstarter to her and how like it's a crowdfunding saying <laughs> oh. like oh this is additional income like what are the and it's like explaining to her not only like did she not know what it was but also trying to do it in spanish at the same time <laughs> <laughs> was like the most difficult thing I've ever had to do when it came to taxes. But when I, <laughs> when I went with the entertainment lawyer, like anything that I said, is like, oh yeah, you just gotta do this. Or yeah, like, let me let let's put it under here because you'll get more money back this way. Like it makes more sense to be. Add these numbers together, blah, 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 blah. I was like, ah, mm-hmm. this is so much easier. <laughs> totally yeah. in their wheelhouse.
0: Yeah, or even just having to explain like, you have a new job every six months and how many w mm-hmm. do you have this year? And like all of that stuff. Like it, <laughs> I feel like uh, like regular accountants do not really understand like entertainment is really fast paced. You're going to be job hunting all the time and you might be mm-hmm. racking on like different, like multiple jobs at a time. And so I think having to explain that too is also an, a challenge in itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good just to go to some of that already. Now it's like, okay, yeah, this is normal. But I remember talking <laughs> to a friend of mine who Almost like the same thing with apartment hunting when they see like their job history. Like, why are you always looking for work? And just trying to explain that to like a landlord is like that's entertaining. Yeah, I'm yeah always looking it's for work.
2: <laughs> It's it's becoming a gig-based economy, which is not good. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> oh well,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, that's a different conversation. Uh, <laughs> but. To kind of keep moving forward, you mentioned this again. Like one of the things you kind of do when you're like having that burnout, trying to you know take a mental break, you know take time for yourself, explore. One of the things that you've like taken up a lot is like rock climbing. How has it been balancing full time work and having a fun hobby like rock climbing? Because I feel like on your Instagram stories, I see (laughs) rock climbing a lot, and I'm always like, where does she find the time?
0: Yeah, I rock climb so often that my hands are just like falling apart, like they're getting completely (laughs) destroyed. But yeah, I think I just think it's so healthy to have hobbies and interests outside of drawing as an artist. Like unless I'm getting paid to do overtime, I really try to finish my eight hour workday and then leave it at my desk. It's really hard now that we are all working from home, but I, I try to be really strict with myself. Like once I finish my workday, I want to be able to spend the rest of my time outside of work doing other things. So I'll go rock climbing, I'll do cooking, I'll read, or I'll just spend time with friends. And like for rock climbing, I, I think it's like a really, really fun hobby, not only because it is a physical activity where you can kind of like release those endorphins and get that stress out, but mm-hmm. uh, and you can see your, like your body getting physically stronger and improving, but it's also like a bit of a mental challenge. I don't know if anyone else has gone rock climbing but a lot of the routes on the wall feel like puzzles that you have to figure out in order to get to the top and Mm -hmm. so i always try to go with a group of friends and we kind of just tackle a single problem together we kind of like work together figure like oh we have to do this to get over here and do that it's kind of like a nice little break from getting to have to draw all the time because it's kind of like you're using your brain in a different way like a different muscle
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i don't want to go rock climbing i've only ever done rock climbing when like they would build the wall like on campus mm. and those are always fun to do but i've always wanted to go to actual rock climbing wall place and try that because like yeah it just seems fun it seems it seems uh really really cool yeah and, like yeah i need to need to find a hobby that's, like, <laughs> well if you that's, ever that's want to exercise
0: <laughs> if you want to ever want to come i have free passes every month for new people
1: Oh, wow. Do you have like a membership to a specific place?
0: I do. So there's like the Touchstone gyms in Los Angeles. There's one in Burbank that I usually go to, but there's also one in downtown Hollywood, I think Culver City too. And they're, they might be opening one in Pasadena soon. So it's like, it's fun kind of getting to like go to different gyms and yeah, <laughs> climbing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, there's a really small one near me that I've started to go to again uh, recently. And it's cool going to a rock climbing gym specific. Like you said, we had the rock climbing wall at uh, San Jose State, but like going to a gym where people who work there love rock climbing and like that's all they do all day uh, is really fun because they'll always change up the paths and the routes and like uh, make different walls for you to climb. And you're like, oh, this was not here like two days ago. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try this one out. And it keeps you like working and you're using your whole body. I don't know. I just really love, I love rock climbing too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so and- fun. And the gym culture is actually like the nicest place I've ever been to. Like, everyone at the rock climbing gym is always so, so nice and super supportive. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes when you just finish a very difficult problem and you like double tap on the finish hold, everyone's cheering for you because they all know you've been working so hard to finish it. Everyone's been super nice. And it's really funny how, like, I feel like everyone in animation rock climbs to a certain degree like i'll go with my friends but (laughs) even when when that happens i'll go to the gym and i'll run into someone i haven't seen in a few months and get to catch up with them but so many people in animation also rock climb and which is i think is really funny
1: uh it's really great i gotta take up your offer i gotta i gotta (laughs) do that i've been also like wanting to oh it's so expensive though i looked at the prices yeah i've I've been getting into um, american ninja warrior just watching it like (laughs) i want to go to an american ninja warrior gym and just do that kind of obstacles but i don't think i have the conditioning for that
0: those mm-hmm. look so gotta work fun yeah.
1: yeah i feel like no, i want to so try fun. it at least once yeah uh, yeah no same same but i feel like i'll get winded so fast mm-hmm. like i'll pay <laughs> i'll pay for like i think it's like some of them are like 30 dollars just to like enter in and i'll mm-hmm. like get winded in the first 10 minutes
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's that's it <laughs> so but to kind of continue back uh, about you how does like your cultural background like influence your voice as an artist
0: so growing up as a Chinese American, I feel like I never really got to see a lot of characters like myself on the screen.
1: And mm-hmm, I think we're mm-hmm. just so
0: lucky now that we are starting to see more stories featuring different cultural backgrounds and experiences. And mm-hmm. I think as an artist, it's it still feels difficult, like you can feel like you can really influence a show or a production just on your own. Mm -hmm. But it's been really, really refreshing just to see so many diverse crews now working together and like with a multitude of backgrounds and seeing all our voices come together to influence a story. I think it's been a really nice experience kind of just getting like those different stories just to tell that.
1: That's that's great. That's beautiful. Because like, yeah, I feel like we are seeing it more. I think we still like need more. But yeah, growing up when we were younger, there were just such a lack of like diverse voices that we just weren't seeing mm-hmm. or we we're just weren't aware of. Cause like sometimes like animation is just a closed off screen. You only yeah. hear about certain people. You don't mm-hmm. really know all the faces that go into making it. And now more people are becoming aware about the faces behind it. some more than others. I think there's still some positions that people like don't know who they are, but like,
0: yeah.
1: I think we got to keep striving to give more opportunity to like voices of color, but like, you know, also to keep, representing those voices on and off screen
0: yeah totally there's always room for improvement but it's it's definitely great that we have a strong basis now and we are constantly trying to improve and the fact that we have like podcasts like this just to like highlight different cultural backgrounds different voices within the industry i think like it's a great step forward and i'd love to see more of that Mm
2: -hmm. totally agree well before we get into our final question where can our audience find you and is there anything else you want to promote
0: yeah, you can find me on Instagram at its.graychen and then on Twitter, I believe it's graychen, and then with an underscore at the very end. I don't really have much to promote. Most of the shows that I've worked on have been released, so I guess check out She-Ra on Netflix, check out Solar Office that's <laughs> on Hulu. <laughs> we Lost Our Human probably won't be coming out for a little bit, but that's going to be a very fun, interactive show. Oh, yet to It's like yeah, a video game. That. You can play Whoa. as different characters. and You can choose your own adventure. That'll be coming out on Netflix eventually. I don't know when, but it's going to be great. <laughs> Highly recommend it. But yeah, all I have to promote. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, awesome. And then as we kind of come to a close... What final advice do you have for those that want to pursue a career in the animation industry?
0: Yeah, so we've already talked about this, but definitely like work hard, but also learn to take breaks. It's okay to take a break, enjoy your life and kind of like have those outside experiences, try to influence your art. And it's okay to kind of just like breathe a little bit and have that influence your art later. I don't know, try rock climbing. I'm gonna heavily (laughs) promote this. Yeah, it's a great physical activity. It's a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Anything we can do to encourage people in animation to actually get some exercise, it's always great.
0: Yeah. We're always stuck in a dark room, drawing, looking at screens, go outside, enjoy nature, (laughs) do some exercise. Also remember to drink water, stay hydrated.
1: Yes. Yeah, I've been carrying a hydroflask with me like all the time now just so I can have some water. <laughs> mm-hmm. The health struggle was real. Ah, oh, so real.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed our interview with Gray, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AP. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to Edgar Ariano for editing this episode. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Redier.
1: Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.